0: Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host James, and today we're reading page 89. Late husband, his father, knowing there was no one to contradict her, and perhaps she had known an Anthony once, sucked at Essie's breast alongside of Philida Richardson, and her employer's child always got for a suck. So she grew into a healthy child, tall and strong, while Essie's son grew weak and rickety on what was left and, along with the milk, the children, as they grew, drank Essie's tales, of the knockers, and the bluecaps who lived down the mines, of the bucca, the trickiest the tricksiest spirit of the land, much more dangerous than the red-headed, snub-nosed piskies, for whom the first fish of the catch was always left upon the shingle, and for whom a fresh-baked loaf of bread was left in the field at reaping time to ensure a fine harvest. She told them of the apple tree men, old apple trees who talked when they had a mind, and who needed to be placated with the first cider of the crop, which was poured onto their roots as the year turned, if they were to give you a fine crop for the next year. She told them in her mellifluous cornish drawl which trees they should be wary of in the old rhyme, elm he do brood and oak he do hate, but the willow man goes walking if he stays out late. She told them all these things and they believed because she believed. The farm prospered, and Essie Tregowan placed a china saucer of milk outside the back door each night for the Piskies. And after eight months, John Richardson came a-knocking quietly on Essie's bedroom door, and asked her for favors of the kind a woman shows a man. And Essie told him how shocked and hurt she was. Poor widow woman, and an indentured servant no better than a slave, to be asked to prostitute herself for a man whom she had had so much respect for, And an indentured servant could not marry. So how could he even think to torment an indentured transportee girl so she could not bring herself to think? And her nut-brown eyes filled with tears, such that Richardson found himself apologizing to her. And the upshot of it was that John Richardson wound up in that corridor of that hot summer's night going down on one knee. And that's our page. All right. So right from the get-go were noted that Essie's child, Anthony, does not get first suck on the breast due to Essie being hired as a wet nurse for the Richardson's baby. And I had to wonder if it would really work that way. If there's twins, does one twin get less than the other? I tried to research it a bit and found that, you know, if you don't get enough breast milk, especially before the rise of formula, he could have had a vitamin D deficiency. This would probably result in the rickets that they mention. Uh, Rickets is a softening of the bones. That could result in bowed legs, stunted growth, and a number of other issues. So, if if you're more up on your your birth knowledge, actually, man, I have a couple of people I should have consulted on that. Huh. But if you know, you can always email me and and set me straight. I would appreciate it. After that, though, more folklore terms. After that, more folklore terms. After that, we've got more folklore tor- terms. I can't say terms. I keep saying terms. Folklore terms. There we go. A knocker was spoken of, more specifically in Cornish folklore, and was supposed to be a creature who lived beneath the ground. Similar to leprechauns, though they wore tiny miner outfits, supposedly. And is this where Jim Henson got the idea for the Doozers? I couldn't find a reference that it was, but it really reminded me of, of Fraggle Rock a bit. Knockers were thought, though, to steal a miner's food, but... In a mischievous way, mostly. They would knock on the cave walls before there were cave-ins, supposedly. So I, th- I think I would take a lost lunch for the day if they would warn me a cave was coming. Supposedly, though, the uh, knockers are inspiration, in name at least, for Stephen King's Tommy Knockers, and that's a terrible book, so I don't really feel like I should devote any more time to discussing it. I love you, Stephen King, but that book is just something. Bluecaps were either fairies or ghosts that would lead respectful miners to rich deposits and veins. In folklore, they would demand an honest day's pay for an honest day's work, though, so they were a bit like knockers, I guess, but less mischievous. The bucca, or the bucca, I think it's bucca, is another Cornwall-specific bit of folklore, goes back at least as far as 1611, supposed to be some kind of merman that would also present as a hobgoblin on land in some areas it was thought that there was a black and a white bucca they're considered pretty dangerous but an offering of fish from the day's catch was typically enough to keep the bucca at bay the 1890 book Cornish Feasts and Folklore by Margaret Ann Courtney so so nice they named her thrice i apologize i made that joke in my notes stated that the spirit buckaboo. Would be invoked as a sort of boogeyman by parents who would attempt to scare their children to stop them from crying, which is which is just wonderful parenting i th- I think this comes up again, oh no, this actually comes up again later in my notes, not just in this book. There's some speculation that the name Bucca may have come from Old English or Old Norse, but I couldn't find any source with a large amount of certainty. apple tree men were it's it sounds really ominous but they're actually just the spirit of the orchard and it typically resided in the oldest tree an offering as similar to one mentioned on the page would bring good fortune in one case a large amount of buried gold was found after making the proper sort of um the proper sort of offering the stories of the apple tree men were collected by a pair of women named ruth tongue hmm Ah, and Catherine Briggs in 1976, entitled "Folk Tales of England, published by the University of Chicago Press. It's still in print, so I was able to actually read the full Apple Tree Man story, and it's pretty good. The quatrain essay tells the children is tough to find a lot of information on, at least in this quote here. I asked Neil on Twitter, and he told me it was a real poem, but it wasn't his, which... I feel like he could have just told me where it came from, Neil. But it got me more searching, and I found a book... No, I found a blog called the wonderreflex.blogspot.com pointed to a 14th century book of Welsh poetry called The Book of Taliesin, specifically a poem entitled The Battle of the Trees, or possibly Battle of the Scrub, depending on which English version I was trying to read. I couldn't find a Wonder One translation... So perhaps the forthcoming annotated edition will shed some light on the source for that. I also think it's important to note that the children believed Essie's stories because Essie herself believed them. Belief does factor into the novel in a not insignificant way, so it's definitely something we want to keep an eye on when we do have belief mentioned. And the end of the page has Essie kind of twisting her way into another marriage. And I think... She could possibly mean it. It's hard to know. She hasn't been in, uh, in the New World for that long, and so I don't think she's quite changed her ways from how she was acting when she was living in London. But I could be wrong, and I'd love to be wrong. We can talk about it more, though, on tomorrow's episode. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetale at gmail.com or on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. Thank you to Julian Granganage for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues, which we use as our theme song. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page, and remember, only the gods are real.